everybody. This is Talk Like a Lady, a podcast where we find out all about our favorite ladies. I'm Carly Morton. And I'm Jessica Fontana. And today we are talking to Jess Stacy. Hello. Hello. How are you tonight? I am excellent. I am over just over halfway through my first tank seven. So excellent. You Um, did your first part of the homework all by yourself. You told us your drink. Yeah. So I've always been an overachiever. So (laughs) I guess that's how we start this too. (laughs) Yes. Good job. (laughs) Uh, Who is your badass lady tonight, Jess? So my badass lady is one of my favorite psychologists, which is super nerdy. But um, she also has had a real personal impact on my life from her, like, really groundbreaking work. So her name is Kristen Neff. And um, she is the pioneer in um, the movement called self-compassion, which is rooted in Buddhism. Um, And the most basic way to explain it is that you... um, approach yourself with the same kind of kindness that you would a good friend when you are struggling or going through some kind of suffering, whether that be physical suffering, emotional suffering. Um, We tend to be really critical of ourselves generally, and we compare frequently. And um, that is kind of the antithesis of compassion towards ourselves. And it's so easy for us to be compassionate towards other people, but often not towards ourselves. And um, it was during graduate school and I was going through my own therapy, which is something that is highly encouraged of psychologists if you want to move on. Um, And I just realized how much I struggled with uh, criticism of myself and never feeling like I was good enough and was a complete imposter in my graduate program. And, and it was a total game changer for me. I have the book with me. I'm, um, it's totally, yeah. it looks apart. like maybe you've read that a couple times. <laughs> yeah. So it's so torn up because I read it over a summer um, next to a pool. I did my graduate training in San Diego, which was lovely. Um, and, and I remember that summer, I remember reading it and I remember my first reaction to it was that it was ludicrous. Like, how can you let yourself off the hook? How can you be nice to yourself? How will you ever succeed or do extraordinary things if you're not constantly kind of staying on top of yourself about being the best or being good enough. Um, and what I, what I like really quickly came to realize is that um, beating yourself up doesn't actually really get you the kind of success that you would want or enjoy. Um, you can't really even fully appreciate or internalize success when you are that critical of yourself. So that is why I chose Kristen Neff as my badass lady, because she pioneered this movement. She's in Texas. She's a professor. I would kill to go to a lecture sometime, <laughs> um, but she's awesome. Isn't that weird, though? Like, you were going to school for this stuff, and you would never, like you said, you would never 
like tell uh, uh, one of the people that you worked with to be super critical of themselves to be successful, but yet you were internalizing that behavior yourself and those thoughts, you know? Yeah. And we all do it. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, I'm real bad at it. It's really difficult for women in terms of social comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I think like along these same lines, like, I don't know, probably two years ago, I was listening to a podcast and, um, something they said, like, and it seems so simple because I heard it and it like blew my mind. But then I was like, why, why didn't I think about this? But it was that it was what you said is like, treat yourself like you're one of your own friends. And I was like, damn, I'm still not good at it. But like, (laughs) it just, it did, it blew my mind. I was like, why don't, why am I so willing to you know, treat other people differently than myself, you know, and be forgiving. And yeah. So I'm going to have to get that book because noted. We all need that. Her writing is very straightforward, which is nice. She's a psychologist, but she doesn't really use jargon. She just talks like a regular person. Oh, that's good. Which is important if you're trying to get the message across. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are also exercises embedded in the book, which I will be 100% transparent at the beginning. I was like, I'm not doing these fucking exercises. <laughs> and even by the end of the book, I was not convinced. I will tell what you. What convinced you? Completely honest. Um, practicing it. Okay. That's the only thing that convinced me. So were you just like, okay, I'm going to try this? Yes. Reading it got me intellectually engaged. All right. And then I thought, why not? I, I have struggled with self-doubt and self-esteem issues for as long as I can remember. Let's try something different. (laughs) And that was five ish years ago. And I have committed to trying to practice it in small ways ever since. And it's still a practice. And Dr. Neff talks about that, just like meditation or yoga or anything, you have to keep practicing it. It's not that you just um, inherently start doing all the time, you know, you have to be intentional about it. Right. I feel like that's everything really. Sure. Yeah. She sounds like a badass. Yeah. I've really... I think I like Kristen. Yeah. We like, we like to be introduced to new badasses. Yeah. But I mean, you know, anybody that is encouraging women to empower themselves, which is really what that is, is brilliant to me. So that makes me happy. Yes. What organization did you choose? So my organization that I chose is one that has been near and dear to my heart for a very long time, and that is Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. So they are formerly known as Spay and Neuter of Kansas City, and they recently changed their name. Um, So I don't know if most people know of the new name, which is the only reason I'm referencing the previous name. Right. I went to volunteer there right out of college because I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian and I thought what better way to get some hands-on experience and to see if this is really what I want to do. (laughs) Right. Um, So I went and I volunteered for one of their spay and neuter clinics and 
It was just a really great environment. I thought it was an amazing service that they were offering to the community. And then when I returned to Kansas City a couple of years ago and got my own puppy just this past year, she obviously needed to be spayed and um, get her booster vaccinations. And I went right back there and had the most incredible experience. I think that the thing that I really like about it the most though is that they recognize that no matter your background, animals can be hugely important in people's lives. And they want to make sure that people who have less resources are able to care for their pet in the best way that they can, even with financial limitations. So they offer extremely low cost vaccinations, spays and neuters, wonderful veterinarians donate time. And then they also do a lot of community outreach. So they're just fantastic. They're at like 59th and Troost. Um, they've been in the same building for as long as I've known of them. Um, their building has gotten major upgrades though. Don't get me wrong. It's great inside. Um, but yeah, I, I had a, a great experience recently and longer ago. So that's awesome. my favorite Kansas City organization. Awesome. Well, you're talking to two animal lovers, so right. I'm okay with that. I mean, you saw the zoo earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that sprout barking? Yeah, you might hear some hound dog bark. <laughs> oh gosh, I hope so. She'll just join the rest of the podcast dogs. Right. My dogs. <laughs> are always being idiots on here, so it's fine. <laughs> all right. Oh, you know what I want to ask you? Okay, so we're all drinking Tank 7, and um, we always ask everyone if they have a Tank 7 story because it seems like everyone has, like, a crazy-ass Tank 7 story because Tank 7 is the most delightful thing ever. So what is yours? <laughs> For those that don't live in Kansas City and don't drink Boulevard brewery beer, like regularly, Tank 7 is a very strong beer, but it ta- it's really good. It's so good. <laughs> it goes down very easily. So it's <laughs> like, yeah it's, yeah, it's kind of like a, a local yeah. thing to have a Tank 7 story. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. so um, I've I drank Tank 7 since it very first came out and love it. Um, <laughs> my dogs are full on crazy. They clearly haven't had enough take seven. <laughs> hey guys, calm down. Holy moly. They're like, mom, pay attention. <laughs> look, look, I'm on the couch. So I'm just going to tell you my story about obtaining tank seven this evening for this podcast. So Originally, I thought that we were going to be starting at six, and so I was rushing, and I knew that the liquor store just down the street from me has Tank 7, which for really tiny liquor stores in Raytown is a rarity. So I was like, I already know where I can go to get it. I'm going to get in the car at 545, go get it, and be back just in time, and we'll be good. So I get in the car, and I'm driving. And I'm almost there, and I see on my right Trump and Pence signs. 
And I immediately formulate a plan that when I turn around and come back, I'm going to steal them (laughs) so that I can destroy them. (laughs) But then I really get into my head and I'm like, okay, listen, A, you don't have enough time to carry out this plan because you have to be back at six for the podcast, which obviously wasn't the right time. But at the the time, it was an important (laughs) Second... Even though you hate Trump more than anything ever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people have a right to their property and their choice, and I didn't want to be a vandal. But mostly it was just because I was going to be late. That's <laughs> about the second one. But it was so upsetting um, visually to see that. But then I kept driving and I saw all of these Biden and Harris signs and Amanda signs. And I was like, okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I so do kind of. fair for anybody who uh, wants to go steal them. <laughs> <laughs> I left them for somebody else. Yeah, I know. I. <sighs> I have those same thoughts. Like, I don't like seeing it, but you're right. Right. But also, uh, like, if this your country car is based on choice, uh, <laughs> like, but if, you're, if your car accidentally goes into someone's yard, <laughs> accidentally, you know, like, sometimes I lose control of it or something. <laughs> Tom has noticed that Tom is my husband. Jess, um, he has noticed that uh, there's a certain place where he drives by a Trump sign, and every time it smells like sewer. <laughs> so, so he's decided that it's definitely the Trump sign. Well, yeah, I don't feel like that's a coincidence. I don't think so either. I really don't, because prior to the Trump sign, I don't remember smelling stuff there. So, huh. yeah. I could be wrong. I could no. be wrong. I don't know. No. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, good for you. Way to hold yourself back. Check. That was, that was real adulting. Yeah. I think so too. Cause I also had a flash of an image of me running back to the house and grabbing a carton of eggs and egging. <laughs> so I thought about that as well. Uh, you like took it back to like high school days of, of egging though. Yeah. But you, I mean, you still have time to do it tonight if you must. Hey, don't be the bad influence. I'll be your angel on your shoulder. <laughs> I will. You did the right thing. Yeah, you did good. Way yeah, to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then. Um, so you've talked about going to school in San Diego and yeah. how you came back to Kansas City. Can you tell us about growing up, like where you were, what you're doing, who you saw? Yeah. <laughs> so. I was born in Hollywood, and my parents really? were in a rock band. Of course they were. Of course they were. Like, like an 80s like synthesizer, like all the new wave stuff that's coming out now was like their jam. What was their band? They were called Vis-a-Vis. Oh. But the thing is, is that they never really went anywhere past just playing local LA shows because... Um, I broke up the band when my mom got pregnant. Damn it. <laughs> you're, the, you're the Yoko of the vis-a-vis. 
Yeah. Thanks, I've been called this before. <laughs> Actually, I don't like that Yoko gets the blame for that, though. I feel like yeah. it's just because she was a woman. Yeah, that's true. That's so, kind of crazy. Poor Yoko. Well, poor Yoko. yeah, but so was he. <laughs> yeah, he was crazy, too. It's fine. So, uh, so my parents decided to give up the lifestyle of musicians and moved us down to San Diego because that's where they were both raised and from. And um, I lived there till I was 10. And my dad was studying to become a psychologist at the time. And he had to do what's called a postdoctoral fellowship, which is kind of like a medical residency where you Mm -hmm. typically go somewhere else in the country to do your final year of training. Mm -hmm. And so we got to go to Topeka, Kansas. That's my hometown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so did Sorry. you like when Jenna said that? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I had. Sorry, that took me a minute. But yes. It, you, yes. Well, I was T-Town, but yes. City. Yeah, I think that it's interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. I think I said T-Town and then she said, top, top city, bitch. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, so... Lived in Topeka until I graduated, and I graduated from Topeka High School. What year? Trojans. What year did you graduate from? 2005. Okay. Yeah. I graduated Washburn Rural in 99. Oh, snap. You went to that nice school. <laughs> what everybody says. I was in the 501 district. Yes. Oh. Can we talk um, about how um, we had a school with the Trojans and then another school that was Seaman. Seaman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seaman High. The Topeka Capital Journal headline of, of Seaman Breaks oh. Through the Trojans. <laughs> and there was another one back Seaman Offense. <laughs> well, you know, listen, at least the Trojans were doing their job. They always do. They always do. <laughs> Not, always. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, okay, so Jesus. you went, you were in Topeka. Yes. Where, and then, you... then I went to college. I went to KU. Yay. Yeah. And um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> stumbled through that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the best way I can put it. So, I. I ended up just picking a major towards the end based on the classes that I was doing the best in because um, the real classes I was doing the best in was like not related to school. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, KU, Lawrence, State Streets, all of what that has to offer. Right. Especially because I, I didn't um, drink alcohol or smoke pot or anything like that in high school Um, straight edge huh yeah you know I was afraid of it I um was like don't get me wrong I threw up after having I think three Smirnoff ices once (laughs) um but that was about the extent of my alcohol use in high school and so when I got to college it was kind of like game on um and I, I just felt kind of lost I I thought that I really needed a path and like thought that there was something out there for me in terms of a path, but I had no fucking clue what that was, nor did I have 
like the belief in myself to pursue something um, like really challenging. Um, so like I said, I kind of like stumbled through college, but, you know, graduated and got a degree. And then the next four years I worked around, lived in Overland Park, worked at Johnson County Community College for a while, which I loved. And I'm still in close touch with some of the people that I used to work with there. Um, and then I kind of decided that I wanted to go to graduate school and I wanted to become a psychologist even though I in no fucking way believed that I could accomplish that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I did it anyway. Isn't it kind of a bummer that everybody has to decide what the fuck they want to be when they're still trying to find themselves and they're still trying to like discover who they are, you know? Yeah. It's, it's such a bummer that we have to go to college. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to, but right. But they're like, yeah. oh, you're you're 18 now. You uh, you just got finished with. High- what do you want to be? Yeah. What are you gonna be now? Like, I don't know. I'm going to not live with my parents. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. And then go crazy and drink. <laughs> and then drink <laughs> until I puke all the time. Yeah. Uh, I also grew up in a home where achievement was really important. And it was um, communicated to me in various um, subtle and not so subtle ways that um, that a lot of my worth was around achievement and performance. Um, not that that was something that my parents consciously, you know, right. was t- were telling me, but um, they both have their own histories of. Um, conflict around performance and being good enough. And so that kind of difficulty was kind of transferred to me in a way, Mm -hmm. as it often is in families. And so I grew up really thinking that if I wasn't extraordinary, I wasn't really worth much. And Um, That was something that I have carried with me and honestly still sometimes struggle with. Yeah. And have to really, um, really like rally against that, which is another reason why self-compassion has been something that was initially really hard for me and foreign and very strange. um, And now is there is like, one of the most important things that I do for myself. Yeah. It's so weird what we carry with us from childhood and you don't even think about it really. And then you're like, Oh shit, I guess that's a thing that happened. Well, and you know, it's like, it's like what you said, Jess though, like oftentimes it's not like our parents are purposely. Right even it's not like they're necessarily trying to send those messages but those messages are still received (laughs) you know and it's just yeah I just spend my parenting life trying not to fuck up my boys so yep yeah (laughs) one of another one of my favorite psychologists from a really long time ago 
who did a lot of studies on attachment, um, he would say that all you have to be is a good enough mother. He coined that phrase. So you're doing fine, Jessica. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. Don't <laughs> on good it. <laughs> you're good enough. Uh, yeah. So do you, you have, I know you have a sibling. Do you have more than a sibling? Nope. Just Nick. Okay. Say just Nick. Oh, no. just, just Nick. That Anybody guy. who knows me knows that Nick is my favorite person ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Were you always that close with him, like growing up? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that gives me hope for my boys. I love when people say that. <laughs> oh, like, no. I tell you how happy that all. makes me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have some really sweet mo- moments and memories from when we were growing up together. We, um, we're a very performative family. And so we would put on these wild dance theatric performances, <laughs> complete with costumes for our parents all the time. Um, many of which he had to wear underwear on his head for. <laughs> and there is photographic evidence. Shut it. up. Oh, uh, I think my mom has it. Mom needs so pictures of Nick stuff like that, and um, but we really didn't get r- very close until um, probably while I was in graduate school, which is interesting because I was away. Um, I feel like that. I feel like I hear that a lot, though. I, I mean, you get that space. I think. Yeah. And then maybe you like actually start to see them as more of a human, <laughs> you know, like, so that's interesting. I really yeah. do hear that a lot. We also just got older, you know, and more mature. Yeah. Um, Are you older than him or younger? I'm older. Okay. So we're almost six years apart. Oh, wow. Big span. But yeah. if you know my brother, you know that he doesn't come across as a typical 27 year old man or boy. <laughs> He's, um, He's very wise and um, very, very smart, very talented. Um, and it's just like a, he has a depth to him that not a lot of men his age have. And so uh, we kind of meet each other in that way. And it's really lovely. That's nice. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> so That's sweet. So. If you could give your teenage self one bit of advice, what would it be? I mean, the first thing I want to say is it gets better. <laughs> yep. Um, you know what it would be? It would be, um, and this is kind of along the lines of it gets better, but something about like, um, don't trust that your feelings are always permanent. Um, I'm a really sensitive person and I probably came into the world sensitive. I think I did. Cause even when I was really young, my parents said that I would cry at like really beautiful classical music, even at like age four, which Aww. is random. Um, but I'm, I'm very, very sensitive. And um, so I think that, um, when I, when I feel things, they tend to be deep feelings, um, which is a 
probably my biggest gift and something that I struggle with the most and has sometimes felt like a burden just to be completely honest um that the depth of my feelings can be overwhelming in terms of joy and love and passion and things like that but then I can also experience severe you know I don't know not necessarily severe that's probably a big word but like I can feel despair and I've had I've been depressed and I've thought about just wanting to disappear and not exist anymore. And um, so I feel strongly in moments. And when I was younger, I tended to believe and get really attached to those feelings in those moments and believe that they would persist, that they wouldn't go away, that that was how I was going to feel about that situation forever. And because I was such a deep feeler, that was really convincing. And so I think I would tell myself that. And I don't know that it would make a difference. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think that's what I would really want myself to know. And maybe, I call that that your brain is tricking you. What was that? I said, I call that that your brain is tricking you. Like it's tricking you that you're always going to feel that way. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because it's just, yeah. And, you know, your teenage, everything is heightened. Absolutely. It's just so funny when you think back when you're a teenager and things that were just like the end of the world. <laughs> and now you're like, Oh Jesus, that's nothing. I tell you about my junior prom dress and how my mom wouldn't send over $99. <laughs> that is the end of the world. <laughs> the absolute end of the world. Yeah. Yep. It's. Oh gosh. Teenagehood. <laughs> um, Never so, again. Right. You have, um, a, a woman influencer, like someone that influenced you while you were growing up? Oh, wow. Let me think. Um, you know, nobody really strong comes to mind in terms of my earlier years, but um there was a woman who knew that I was special in terms of like, um, or I guess made me feel special when I didn't see any of that in myself, which was my first year of graduate school. Um, like I mentioned before, I really felt like a total imposter. I would have nightmares where I was getting removed from the program and oh, wow. it was awful. And there was a psychoanalyst who was one of my professors who pursued me. I mean, quite literally to be a part of her clinic to get extra training and I'll never forget when she approached me after class one day and asked me if I would want to do that. I immediately was just like, why would you ever want me to do that? And the, the, the feeling of incongruence between what she saw and what I felt felt like so fucking big, like a chasm, you know, like the fucking Grand Canyon. And I was like, this woman doesn't know me at all. I'm going to flat fall out of my flat on my face. And she's going to figure out that I'm, you know, an imposter and shouldn't really be here. But I did it because, um, because I didn't want to disappoint her. 
either. So I did it. And uh, for the rest of my graduate training and um, probably for the rest of my life, she will be one of the most important mentors that I've ever had. Because she, like I said, believed in me, saw something special in me before I did, and almost demanded that I see it (laughs) over the years. Um, And she was actually my supervisor for my last year of training in graduate school. Um, And I'll never forget our very last supervision meeting when we were talking about supervision is where is where you go in and you talk with a licensed psychologist who's overseeing your cases, your training cases, your therapy mm-hmm. cases, mm-hmm. and you talk to them about your cases and you get feedback and you get advice and you can vent about your various feelings about your therapy clients because as therapists, we definitely have a lot of feelings about our therapy clients. Right. <laughs> right. And you should be able to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, in our last supervision meeting, we were reflecting on the onset of our relationship and the work that we had done together. And um, we just had a really beautiful moment where she finally, I, I, well, I guess I finally let her see just how vulnerable I had always been and telling her that, you know, from the beginning when she picked me out, I felt um, terrified and like she had gotten it all wrong. And, and then we just kind of cried together. And it was really special and felt really healing. And um, she really saw me. I really let her see me in that moment, which was really special. And um, I miss her, oh my gosh, so much. Her name is Mojgan Kadame. She's Iranian, the best motherfucking dresser I've ever seen. <laughs> she is so intimidating, that woman. Oh my uh, gosh. And do you still keep in touch with her? I do. Oh, good. I do. Good. Not as often as I would like. Um, but I'm pretty good at that. When I think of someone that I really care about, that I have a solid bond with, I don't have a problem reaching out. I mean, I, she has a, a son and so I never miss a mother's day, you know, her and, um, cause I met her family, you know, over the years that, that I worked with her. And, um, so yes, she will always be a part of my life. She's wonderful. Was there ever a time like when you were working with her that you believed her that you were worth it and good at it and all that stuff like did you ever get there or was it kind of afterwards maybe so I absolutely had many moments in that year where I was starting to really believe it and I think that some of that was because of feedback I was starting to get from the people I was seeing um people were improving, people were making connections about patterns that they had in their lives that they'd never noticed before. And they were giving me feedback about how they felt about being in a therapeutic relationship with me and that that felt really safe to them. And that's when I started to know that I was on the right track and doing the right thing and in the right place. And that is where the foundation of my belief in myself as a psychologist 
sprung from in the, you know, three years that I've since graduated. I'm still pretty green. So, (laughs) but I definitely have a significant amount more of, you know, faith and belief in myself as an effective and, um, and I think special psychologist, I hope. (laughs) I mean, I like you. I believe in you. I mean, (laughs) let's feel feelings together. Yeah. 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 Just kidding. I hate feelings and I don't want to, I don't like it. We've said this before. Carly does not like feelings. Mm. She will tell dick jokes instead of having feelings. Mm-hmm. I like feelings. Just I have lots feelings. of feelings. <laughs> I have lots of feelings too. I just cover them up with dicks or something. I like to talk about them. <laughs> I like to ignore yeah, them. Yeah, you balance each other out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like if we both had too many feelings or expressed too many feelings. Right. We would just cry. Like, uh, yeah. whoever the guest was and us, we would just cry the whole time. It'd be very uncomfortable. It's bad news. Uh, for other people, maybe. Right, right. Um, so all these strong feelings in your life, how was dating? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Um, so I have always been um, drawn to a certain kind of man. And um, it's the kind of guy who, it was almost always a musician. So that gives you an (laughs) outline of the kind of dude I'm talking about. All right. (laughs) So, uh, so kind of narcissistic, you know, wildly talented and passionate and always seemed to make me feel like um, I wasn't really important. You. Um, yeah, I know. And I, don't get me wrong, I've, I've never had any damaging or kind of, quote, unhealthy relationships um, in that, like, I've never been overtly mistreated or anything like that. I've been very lucky in that respect, but I never felt like I could be fully seen in a romantic relationship. And, um, honestly, I still don't think that I feel comfortable with that. Um, which is why I've been single more of my life than I've been in a relationship. And the longest relationship I've ever had is just over a year. The last relationship that I had was with a woman. Yeah. For the first time in my life. And was it better or worse? (laughs) Um, In some ways it was light years better, um, unimaginably better um, in the ways. In some ways. Right. In a way that you can (laughs) imagine. Um, The emotional connection was incredible. There were no games. Imagine that. I cannot. (laughs) Complete transparency and openness about our feelings from the beginning. It was wild. Um, we fell very fast, very hard. It was amazing. It was exciting. I'd never even been with a woman sexually before. So it was a whole new ball game for me. Right. Um, but then I, I started to question whether or not, uh, being with a woman long-term was going to be fully satisfying for me, mostly in a sexual way, to be completely honest. 
Um, I also experienced for the first time what it was like to not walk through the world with straight privilege. Um, although I will say this, I'm very straight passing. Nobody looks at me and thinks that I am gay. And so when I would be by myself in the world, I still occupied that privilege. However, when I would be with her in public, um, and we were, we were not shy about PDA, you know, like, right. I mean, we weren't right. obnoxious about it. I'm not that person, but, <laughs> but like we were a couple and it was obvious. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever really felt othered, which was wild. Um, and felt like shit and caused some strain for us. Mm-hmm. And eventually, um, I came to the conclusion that it, uh, that it wasn't going to be a good fit for me and that, um, it wouldn't be honest to stay in a relationship with her because I wasn't, um, sexually fulfilled and therefore she could never be, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that wouldn't be fair to her either, but it was an incredibly difficult decision because I, she'd become my best friend. I, I gave up the closest thing I had had to like, really being seen in a romantic relationship. And I thought to myself that there's no fucking way I would ever get that again, especially with a man. (laughs) And so it was a really tough decision, but it was the right one. And so, yeah, dating has been hard. Dating has been hard. I, I do okay with vulnerability with friends and family, but I struggle with that too. Um, I'm really good at coming across like I have all my shit together and that I'm really smart. And, and so a lot of people don't actually know what it's like to live as me. Um, because you know, I, I struggle a lot inside. Um, and I'm really consciously trying to get better about being more open about that i.e. this fucking podcast, (laughs) Um, I guess. Um, Yes, yes. Talk to us. Tell us more. (laughs) What else? Well, because I think that we all, like, want to be seen, right? But we also, like, don't. Because we want to be seen, but we want to hide. Like, 100%. So, like, it's so hard. We're all so good at hiding the the shit. Yeah, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's why, that's why, like, all mental health stuff, it's hard because even the people closest to people don't know everything, you know, we're all good at hiding it. Yep. Yep. So do you have a worst first date? Oh gosh. (laughs) I do. Yeah. It was when I was living in LA. P.S. LA is the worst city to date in. (laughs) Just, just, just going to say it starts with when I was living in LA uh-huh. Disaster. Listen, uh-huh. I could never live in like we talk about like self-esteem issues. Oh no. Oh I no. Never, no, 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 never no. live in LA. I don't I think I could even visit city. there. Oh god. Yeah. I, if that, I the visited thought of it there, is a little scary. No, I just it would be a major like compare yourself to every single person walking down the street the whole time. So I was living in LA, um, just like, I think it was 2017 to 18. So not that long ago. 
And I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship, which was the thing I told you guys earlier that my dad did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was doing my last year of training at Occidental College in the counseling center, which was fucking awesome. Shout out to Occidental. <laughs> <that Okay>. <laughs> Do you know our second highest uh, listening ship is in, what's it called? Something, California. Mountain Mount, View. Mountain View, California. But did you know that that's where Google is? Yep, 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 yep. I'm going to deny that. Yeah, I saw that. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, continue. (laughs) So I met this guy on a dating app. um, And he asked me out to this cocktail bar in downtown LA. And I lived in Highland Park, which is a suburb of LA. It's nowhere near the coast. It's I didn't even have to get on the highway to go to work. Like, I was just in my little space. It was an awesome neighborhood. Sounds delightful. Um, But I didn't often go to downtown because traffic fucking sucks. Um, (laughs) And I was, I mean, I had a really stressful job. And Mm -hmm. so I just didn't, I just wasn't really into that scene. But I'm like, okay, this guy wants to take me to a cocktail bar downtown LA. Let's do this. This sounds like it could be a fun story. Well, here we go. (laughs) So I get there. And, um, it's really a small place and there's not a lot of places to sit, which is fine. Like that's kind of sexy, you know, like kind of like sit next to each other, get a drink, snuggle up, see how it goes. Well, homeboy was real handsy. Like, and I was wearing, I think I was wearing like a dress. So like half of my thighs are showing, um, And his hands were all over my legs. And I remember, this is the thing about being a fucking woman that pisses me off. I tried to play it cool, right? Right. Like, I'm like, oh, you're so handsy. And like scooted into the person next to me because there was no other where to scoot. Mm -hmm. And I'm super uncomfortable, but I'm telling myself, it's fine. He's just being da-da-da. He's doing... Well, we don't want to be rude. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be rude. Wouldn't want to cause a scene. Um, So I just keep, you know, kind of whatever. So he he gets more handsy after, like, the second drink. And, like, so much that he's, like, putting his hand, like, in, like, the middle of my thighs, you know? Like, not even on the outside, like, I don't like that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And Especially, no. So I actually physically removed his hand at that point, and I was like, "Dude, like, come on, chill." And even at that point, like, I feel like that was me being really nice. Yeah. So he wouldn't. He he didn't stop. He was pretty sloshed at that point, and he he wouldn't stop. He was leaning in and like breathing on my neck, and I was just like, "No." So I excused myself to go to the bathroom and promptly ordered a lift to get the fuck out of there. Um, for you. And then he has the nerve to text me and, and well, I mean, he's like, where are you? And I tell him, I'm like, I was feeling uncomfortable. And so I left. And he right. was incredibly hateful after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
like 18 paragraphs of hate text later. Wow. That sounds so much fun. That's probably hyperbole, but let's just go with it. It was 18 paragraphs. It was 18 paragraphs. I believe you. Same. (laughs) And then I fucking unleashed hell on his ass. I was like, (laughs) just all my feminism, just, I just vomited it all over him. I was like, don't you ever fucking talk to a woman like that in the future? Don't you ever treat someone like that? Do not presume that you can put your hands on any woman ever again. Even if you're on a date with her, you slimy motherfucker. Um... But it was incredibly upsetting. And I was upset about it for longer than I thought I would be, you know? Um, upsetting. Like, that's... Uh, there's so many things that I'm... My goal in life is to treat my... Or to teach my boys. And that's one of them. You do not have the right to touch anyone. Anyone. I don't right. care. Who would... Like, Ew. No. Yeah. And then if they specifically tell you, don't get all pissy pants about it. Right. Like, take it's, it. <laughs> like, just right. take it as like, oh, shit. Shit, I am fucking wrong. Yes. And I'm not going to do this anymore. I misread that one. Sorry. Although, he just sounds like gross. He yeah, wasn't he misreading sound- anything. He was no. just not great. He was just being a douche. But I mean, ew. Gross. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Me neither. I don't like it. And I think that, oh, you know what? I think I took it one step further too. I'm pretty sure I reported him on the app. Yes. Nice. I totally did. Good. Good for you. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. It it shouldn't be. What a piece of shit. Right. It shouldn't be in 2020 because I've heard these stories for so long, but it's still shocking to me how many, and I'll say men because I do, I mean, I don't see a lot of it from women. Right. But it's shocking how many men like, you know, on dating apps, when a woman is like, just a simple, like, I'm not interested or something just because we all have different tastes. We all have different desires. Like it's fine. And they just like, then they turn it into, well, you're an ugly cunt or whatever, you know, like it's awful. A dollar for every time that has happened to me on a dating site, I would have several hundred dollars. Right. It's so, it's so gross. It's the grossest, but like, also, could you imagine showing up to a fucking first date with someone you've never actually met and then like sticking your hand on the dude's balls like like oh i'm just gonna shove my hand right here real quick like could you i mean that's my common practice don't you know i mean i do love to grab people's balls but come on not without consent i mean i have to meet them at least twice Right. This Fuck. was a one. But can you, <laughs> God like, damn. can you imagine somebody like just being like, Hey, I'm, I'm not interested. And then like trying to insult everything about their physical body that you can possibly. Oh insult. yeah. Well, your face is stupid and I hate it. <laughs> okay. Even, oh God. And you know, what's I, the, even more fucked up about it is that we are smart women, right? We're smart women. I, I'd yeah. like to hope. I think we we're try. smart women. Yeah. We try. We, we try. try. <laughs> thoughtful women. How about that? We're, there you go. we're reflective yeah. women. Yeah. Um, what gets me the most is that regardless of how smart and reflective and thoughtful I am, I still find a way to feel like shit and to like let that shit penetrate 
when they say those things. Absolutely. I would, I would get in like the fucking fetal position and start crying if somebody said this shit to me. Yes. Me too. At 100%. No matter what. <laughs> no. I will, like, I will cry. I'll cry right now. <laughs> I don't mean, you don't even have to test me. I'll do it right Carly. now. Carly, dicks. go tell, go, go say a dick joke. Fucking dicks. You don't want feelings. Stupid ass cunt dick. Because <laughs> the thing is, is that I'll break it down for you right now as Dr. Stacy. Do it, Dr. When Stacy. The wo- when the woman tells him no, he experiences it as an, a rejection of him. A rejection of his masculinity, a rejection of his penis, a rejection of his self, a rejection of his life, lifeblood, you know? <laughs> and for some men who have really fragile egos, which is <clears throat> most men, um, <laughs> they, sorry, I, I just, um, sorry, I'm sorry. Um, most men. <laughs> most men, not all. Don't get me wrong. Not all. Not all. But uh-huh. they, that when their ego is, is threatened, they retaliate. Um, because anger is a more powerful feeling than rejection. Rejection sucks. Um, and anger is also a more social, uh, socially appropriate male response than is sadness or vulnerability. So I, like I said, I can analyze the fuck out of it and know that I'm right. Right. And it doesn't fucking matter. I still feel like shit. Right. Um, do you have any? Do you have any advice of a mother of two boys? <laughs> How do I make them not do that? Well, I think that the fact that you're you're already intentionally thinking about that, and that you are, you're just going to kind of naturally model certain things. I also think that, um that kids learn a lot from observing the relationship between their parents. And so um, if, if your husband treats you with respect and um, those types of things, then your boys will follow suit. They will see that that is the way to do it, that that is the right way that even the only way, you know, Um, and there won't be an alternative. And then I also think that, so if the idea that I have is that the fragile ego is what causes the retaliation and you don't want him to do that, one of your boys to do that, then I think that um, the only way that we can build that up is by letting our children know that they're loved unconditionally, regardless of, um, regardless of their performance or their achievements or, you know, um, that kind of thing. But so when I tell them like 50 million times a day that they're handsome and smart and wonderful, <laughs> it's not overdoing it. Not when they're I'm handsome just, and smart. I mean, you know, I'm just telling not lying. Them. No, you know not, the other I'm, thing, this is something thanks. that just popped into my mind though. Another thing is that you can get your boys comfortable with talking about their feelings. Oh, you have like, dude, <laughs> That's I was, I was gonna. I, I've said it on this podcast before. I'm gonna annoy the fuck out of my cho- out of my boys. Because here's the thing, like I'm con- <laughs> I'm just like constantly. I'm constantly talking about boundaries. I'm constantly talking about like 
like we just watched Wonder Years, the whole thing. And anytime, anytime Kevin was like, I mean, it was so clear. He was just upset about something. And he, then he'd lash out. I'd be like, you know, what would be easier to, if he just told his feelings to Winnie? Like, <laughs> you're like, let's pause for an education moment. I do. I swear <laughs> Jesus, I do. Like, and she I'll, does. <laughs> I she do. Does. And anything we'll be, we'll be doing like, even in just our life, we'll be like, I have a, an 11 year old, almost 12. And he's in that preteen stuff. And I'll be like, my dude, you're acting like a Kevin right now. Like (laughs) (laughs) we we do, we, we are very, you're really, you're really pulling a Kevin now. And I've just (laughs) got to, you've got to step back. And is really effective because he immediately knows what the fuck you mean. Yeah. And, and it's even worse though when we tell him he's being a Wayne. Oof. Yeah. Then he really gets paranoid. Right, girl. Nobody wants to be a Wayne. That'll get him. <laughs> All right. I have a question. So do you think that you are an introvert or an extrovert? Because I can I can't tell. One hundred percent an extrovert. <laughs> Absolutely. Dang. Absolutely. So is is quarantine just Killing uh, you? super duper bumming you out? It's been an isolating year. And that is a direct quote from one of my best friends, Kristen. So I don't want to steal it. <laughs> she, she, she was uh, consoling me just a couple days ago because I was feeling kind of low and lonely. And, um, and that's what she said. And I think it like really rang true. Um, because I do, I get, um, I get my fuel from people, which is, which is the actual definition of extroversion. A lot of people right. think that inversion versus extroversion is about um, shyness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And being out versus being outgoing and, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, right. but, um, and, and being an extrovert also doesn't mean that I don't value my alone time because I very much do. Right. I actually think that I have over the years become a lot more comfortable with the alone side of being an extrovert because for many, many years, I often felt quite empty when I wasn't with people and that was hard to cope with. Um, and so I think that, you know, with COVID it's been, it was a struggle but luckily I was able to arrange to get to experience time with the really important people in my life in a safe way. Um, like my mom, she has 50 acres out in Liberty and our house is built on that land and we have a farm and it's really beautiful. And so um, when it, it got a little bit safer, you know, not that it's safe now, but Right. When it wasn't quite as terrifying, um, like my brother and his girlfriend and myself, we would all take our dogs over there and walk the property. And it was great because we would all be like, you know, about 10 feet apart, you know, the whole time. And our dogs are having a great time. We're out in a beautiful area and, and we still got to be with each other. And it, we're, we're a very huggy family. And so we haven't been hugging, which is fucking weird. (laughs) I know. Except, except, 
me and my mom hugged the other day. It was great. We both took a deep breath and then Hugs. hugged each other and oh. then backed off. Oh. Because um, we just hadn't hugged in a long time. Hugging is the best. I don't even care. I'm a yeah. hugger too. And I'm usually like a hugger of friends. Like, oh, there's my friend. We're going to hug now. And now, Absolutely. well, not only can I not see my friends, but I can't hug them if I do. And it's sad. Makes me sad. <laughs> yep. And then I say something about a dick. <laughs> and then everything's better. And then everything's so much better. It's just like hugging. Oh, gosh. I will say I um, I had an unexpected COVID relationship happen that was not romantic by any means. But um, one of my close friends was out of work like I was for about a month. Mm-hmm. And... Um, after we had both kind of quarantined ourselves for two weeks, we decided that we were going to be quarantine buddies. And so we had a whole set of quarantine activities, including quarantining, which we have <laughs> copywritten or need to, where we would take our anti-gravity chairs up on her Kansas City loft roof and yes. Yes. And what was crazy about it is that we got so fucking tan that people were like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> and we're like, no, bitch, we've been on top of the rooftop across from the library in downtown Kansas City. Listen, motherfucker, I've been on a roof. Mind your own um, business. But like all seriousness, like she's, uh, she's one of the most incredible friends I've ever met and made. And um. I just am incredibly grateful for having had that kind of random uninterrupted time to like create a really strong foundation and develop a friendship with her. Um, And we've already, you know, like gone through some stressful times together. She's gone through some stressful stuff with me and her father passed last week, which was devastating for her. Um, Yeah. Very, very sad. Um, but yeah, so COVID has been lonely, but I've also been incredibly grateful for some of the really like special things that came out of it that I really wasn't expecting. Are you are you talking to clients now, Dr. Stacy? <laughs> are you doing are you doing like phone or tele telehealth? So um, I'm not. I do not do any telehealth therapy. So what I actually do um, is, is very, is really cool. I, I think my job's really neat. I, I don't do any therapy right now at all, mostly mm-hmm. because I needed a break from it um, mm-hmm. because I got pretty burnt out in my last job, my first job out of my training. And I abruptly left that job last August because it was um, just just not a good position and situation and environment for me to be in. And I went to work for a company who has a contract with the VA to do their disability evaluations. Oh. So I started that last September. And so I've been with them for about a year now. And I went back to work the first week of April. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in an office like on 435 and Holmes and like a corporate bu- corporate building. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it's an awesome situation. I don't really have like a boss or like a supervisor necessarily, um, which is really cool. Um, Weird, cool, and the best. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's really awesome. And so, um, and my exposure is low, which is good. I only ever see three veterans a day and we wear masks and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's pretty safe and low risk. Um, but it's a one-off with every veteran. So I only ever see them one time. Oh, but it's really important for me to make that one time. I don't know, like count. Yeah. And like feel safe and feel like make them feel like potentially hopeful about future mental health encounters, if you will. Um, Of course. So I'm a certain level of connection. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I'm, I'm just evaluating them for any mental health disorders that they meet criteria for that are, that's causing um, significant impairment in their functioning, like at work and Mm -hmm. in their relationships. Um, I do a lot of PTSD evaluations. So a lot of my work involves reading about and hearing about pretty horrific traumatic events, um, which is really, really hard, but I also feel really honored um, to do that work with a population that is grossly underserved. Oh, Oh, yeah. 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 Like, so I love it. I fucking love it. It's good. It's a cush position. I make a good wage and I don't have to work too many hours to do it. Good. Well, and it sounds like it's fulfilling to you. It is. It is. I I know I want to do therapy again in the future. I think that that's where my greatest skill sets lie. And I think that it's what makes me the most invigorated and excited and passionate about being a psychologist, but I just need some more time to feel like, like emotionally ready to take that on. Right. Like it's a big thing to take on. It is. Well, and you talked earlier about how you feel feelings very strongly. So that would be very difficult. So mm-hmm. yeah, but that would be very difficult with veterans. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is hard. I think that it's, it's less difficult in this position than having like an ongoing therapy relationship because I have that one interaction with them yeah. and, and I'm not kind of responsible for them after that in a way, yeah. not that a therapist is ever entirely responsible for a client or, you know, somebody that they're seeing. Um, but that, um, but that I don't, I don't have to see them in continuous pain after week, after week, after week, after week, right. After year, after year. Right. So it's different. Yeah. Um, And in my training, I've had cases that I've seen for over a year. And so I know what it's like to be in treatment with somebody for that long. And, um, and it takes a lot of investment and, um, and it's great and it's super fun. I know that, that sounds a weird word to describe it as, but therapy is fucking magic. It's magical. Um, Agreed. So I don't know. I can't afford therapy, but when I can, it'll be great. We'll talk about feelings and dicks. <laughs> or just dicks. <laughs> or just dicks. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We'll guess. 
<laughs> She's not there yet. I'm not there. I can't do it. I was going to say, I really want to say, are you sure it's because you can't afford it? <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what we're going with tonight. Right now? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Let's bring it down to the less than fun topic of, do you have a Me Too story? Well, I shared some of a kind of a Me Too moment with you yeah. guys on the first date. Yep. Um, yep. But yes, I've had more than I'm happy about. Fuck. Um, <laughs> I don't have any... Um, serious history in terms, like serious sexual assault history um, or anything that rises to that level. However, um, I have, oh my God, you know, okay, first I'm going to back up. I am, I am struggling to say this because I'm worried that people hearing it will be like, oh, well, she's called that because she probably is one of those, you know, which is, so fucked up because that's my own internalized shit. But here we go. Mm-hmm. I've been called a tease a lot Ew. by men. Ew. Um, Ew. And by a lot, I mean like, okay, it's been like one within the last couple of years. But like. If it's more than one, yeah. then it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, one's a lot. Yeah. Fuck that shit. So, um. I was called a tease most recently about like, it was about two years ago, right after I had gotten um, back here to Kansas City. And I was talking to this guy. um, I will not say how I met him because I want to preserve his identity. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) But um, I'll say this. He's a tattoo artist in Kansas City. And... um, I hung out with him a couple of times um, and was very, very, very upfront, like so upfront about not about wanting to be, you know, take things slow and not engage like past making out, you know, physically. Right. Like so transparent about it that I was like verbatim out of my mouth. Like if you come over today to stop by to say hello on your break from work, we're not going to have sex. Like, I don't know how much more like straightforward I could be. Right. Um, And so of course he comes over expecting sex and we are making out. And you know, like apparently once you have gotten on top of a man when you're fully clothed and you're kissing him passionately, your vagina is fair game. Oh yeah. That's fair game. Don't, don't even. That's the rules. Unless. the rules. Or, or you're a tease. So oh, it's a okay. game or you're a tease. So um, it, we, we kind of did that dance of um, hand down the pants, pull the hand out of the pants and giggle, you know, um, hand on the pants again, uh, pull the hand out and giggle again, because that's what you feel like you have to do as a woman. Hand on the pants again, like, okay, dude, come on, like. I'm really not into this. This right. is past a hint. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and he had picked me up and like took, taken me into my room and I was like, I don't know, but like, okay, we'll just kiss, you know? I mean, fine. like how long is this fucking break? Get out, go back to work. <laughs> Shit. Um, Bitch, bye. 
So eventually he gets the hint. I'm like, dude, I told you we're not having sex. Like, this is fun, but like, that, this is it. He gets up and leaves and is just, and, and then is like texting me about how I'm a tease and about how, um, about how, um, you know, getting a man hard and, you know, blue balls and the whole deal. I was like, am I? Is he like 15? Yeah, no shit. I was like, am I a junior in high school? What? Is right. That? Right. Like, first of all. This is like a 30 something year old man. No. Also, but- you have a boner when you wake up in the morning. What are you going to do? Be like, oh, my pillow's a tease. Fuck you. But also you can look at a dude and he gets a boner. Like it's like. No shit. Right. Well, and also, what about my fucking boner? I was wet as shit. Like, what the fuck? Right. Like, I was stranded, too, you dick. Fuck you, dude. Like, I was in it, too, but I wasn't. So, fuck you. This is called (laughs) self-control. Right. Especially when I already told you you weren't going to fuck. Before you even showed up, bro. Before you even showed up. Right. That's not a tease. That's fair warning. That is. Listen. Also, you're like... Yes. yes. Here's the thing. That's making out, you asshole. God damn it. <laughs> it's fucking a blast. Like, making out is a blast. Right. It's great. Why don't people make out more? Okay. I don't know how I ended because up. Because they bang, probably. I don't That's know. Br- <laughs> Fuck. I don't know how I, like, I, talk, I talk about other men. Like, there are so many just not great men. I don't know how I ended up with a good dude. Yeah, you got one. Because there's just you both did. But I know. Like, oh, Tyler's over I mean, there. He's doing good. Men are men can be so gross. Like the idea that they think that you don't have a right at any point in time to just be like, let's stop. Be like, like, mm, like but that, we made out. That means we can fuck. We, now. Yeah, we made out, so we gotta fuck yeah. now. Like, no, no. Yeah. There was Ugh. another dude right after. But then I- sadly enough, so many women like I mean, how, what age were you when you realized that it's okay to say no at any point? I mean, and, I, always, I always knew. Right. But, but how, when I started doing it. Yes. Um, probably after college. Or, or when you right. felt like, not just necessarily when you did it, but when you felt like validated to do, or like, I don't know. How, I don't know what I'm trying I to say. I still don't but. feel validated to do it because I just <laughs> <a> fucking tease. <laughs> Baby, uh, I don't think you're bullshit. a tease. It, it like it's insane the, the the way that women see themselves or see how they should act or it's so gross. Oh. Act. <sighs> yeah, I don't like There's it. So much work to do in the world. Yes. It's sad. Ew. Hey. <laughs> are you good at taking compliments? You know what? I am. Oh, really? I am. Yay. I am. Yay. Anytime somebody compliments me, I try really hard to really absorb it and say like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Even if, even if I can't fully internalize it in that moment for whatever reason, I always, I always say thank you because, um, mostly because when I give a compliment and somebody kind of like throws it back to me like a hot potato, I'm like, if doesn't that doesn't feel good to me 
as the compliment yeah. giver, you know? I want them to take it and hold it and receive it, you know? Oh, hey, and guess what? I want you to give yourself a compliment right now. I have been incredibly brave during this podcast interview. So you have. You've yeah, talked I, I about. Agree with that. I agree too. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. There's a. <laughs> and I've been sweating a lot. Oh my God. I'm sweating <laughs> so much. <laughs> the air conditioner's on, and yet here I am sweating like a whore in church. Like, it's fun. Or before this, after my run today, <laughs> and I'm going to have to shower again because I'm a sweat monster. I'm also a sweat monster, and I'm not even talking about feelings or anything. Oh gosh. Okay. So we need to ask people to go to the pet resource of KC. Yes. Their their website is prckc.org. Yes. Yes. I know. I looked it up. I was going to say it. Jessica, you got I'll me. Beat you, motherfucker. Uh, uh. And I mean, we sh- what was the name of the book? Self-compassion. Yes. Uh, people and should check by, that shit out. It's by Kristen Neff. Mm-hmm. Last name is spelled N is in Nancy, E, F is in Frank, F is in Frank. She Nancy was mentioned, side. Carly, and it wasn't even about her. Nice. <laughs> um, it is Kristen, how do you spell Kristen? With an I-N. K. Ooh. A K or a C? K. K. <laughs> All these. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) All right. And also, people can check out um, our social media. We've got Twitter. We've got Instagram. It's uh, T-L-A-L podcast. And then uh, email is T-L-A-L-P-Cast at Gmail. And um, on our email, we want you to give us recommendations of people we should talk about badass ladies tell us your stories uh we want it all we give do. us all your stuff <laughs> <laughs> that sounds dirty no it is dirty give us all your stuff <laughs> especially dick. <laughs> but just dicks forever just kidding <laughs> yeah. do not I'll send us dick pics please do not please, please do not. don't you guys don't send us dick pics no, absolutely not. I retract that statement. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, nobody, Jess. Nobody ever wanted a dick pic, and nobody no. will ever want a dick pic. No, I mean, if I want it, I'll ask for it, okay? Amen. That's fair. An unsolicited dick pic. Nobody want ever it. wants an unsolicited dick pic. Dick pic? Dick pic. Dick pic. There we go. I want dick pic. Tank seven. It's the tank seven, man. We don't get to. <laughs> hey, Jess. Yeah. Thank you for coming on our podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. This was You're fun. fun and it was, delightful. It was and I delightful. Want to be yeah. So here's to ladies. Let's start listening to what they have to say. Goodbye. Goodbye.